0: I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) grew up in Brooklyn. Oh, my gosh. We are going to have a conversation. Moving up, moving out, moving along. Where are you headed next? I'm Christy Cassidy, your host and the creator of Moving Along, a podcast about travel, relocation, and life transitions. Listen in to real-life stories as we explore moving along and what it takes to make your life a positive new adventure. Welcome to Moving Along, a podcast about travel, relocation, and life transitions. Today, my guest is Marion Ammo. Marion and I work together at Publishers Weekly, so we've known each other for several years now. And when the pandemic hit, Marion up and moved to West Virginia. Who could do such a thing, I thought. And then I realized this is a pandemic move. This is definitely a pandemic move. And I wanted to talk to Marion to see what she thinks about everything that's happened since the beginning of 2020 when our lives were thrown into a big upheaval. Welcome. Marion. Hi, Christy. It's a pleasure to be on here. It's so nice to hear your voice and chat with you. We don't have our office anymore, not the same one anyway. And you haven't gone in. I haven't gone in. That's true. That's
1: true. I think we've been virtual since March 2020.
0: Let me ask you a question that I ask everybody. You grew up in Brooklyn in the Flatbush area. Right, which you Mm could say is South Brooklyn. Yep. And now you're living in West Virginia, but I want to know when you were a kid, what did travel and moving mean to you?
1: Sure. Well, first, let me say that I moved from Brooklyn to New Jersey and then from New Jersey to West Virginia. As a kid, travel was a way of exploration and also to actually just learn more about the country. So I, I didn't, I wasn't actually. Born here, I have a dual citizenship, but coming here and going to school here from elementary all the way to college um, and post college, it's travel has always kind of been a way to just learn more about other people and to just learn more about the country. Where were you born? I was born in Ghana, and then your
0: parents brought you here when you were little.
1: Yes, my dad was doing his medical residency as an OBJN. And my mom was a teacher and we were all able to immigrate here, at least at a time when immigration was a lot easier (laughs) to deal with. And we were just able to do our papers and get our citizenships and go to school and and do the whole, I guess, American dream life (laughs) thing-ish.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. And is your dad, does he still practice? Occasionally. Yeah. But he's reached
1: the age where I... He's more on the retirement end.
0: <laughs> and your mom? Is she retired?
1: She's retired, but you know, teachers don't ever stop teaching in some
0: ways. <laughs> did she teach elementary or did she teach high school. High school. Wow. Yep. So that was pretty lucky for you. Did you go to the high school where she taught?
1: No. No. I feel like that would have been a little awkward for me. <laughs>
0: Plus, in New York, you don't have to go to the high school in your neighborhood, right? You right, fly, right. Go yeah. wherever you want. So you came from Ghana. Do you remember the flight or the trip? Not really.
1: I was very young. So I was like five.
0: So you're a New York City kid, basically.
1: But it's- I never lost that wonder for travel, especially because when you're in New York, the whole world is there. You, know, you encounter so many different people. That you just have a general desire to know more beyond what is around you because you are exposed to so many different cultures and backgrounds.
0: I think that's true. I mean, New York City kids to me are so sophisticated, and I mean, they get on those trains with not even (laughs) a thought, and yeah, they go. And that was your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I think I think the environment in New York uh, forces you to be aware very early on in life and also kind of just makes you grow up a little bit faster.
0: And all those people, like you say, all those cultures, all those people right there. Mm-hmm. Did you go back to Ghana? Did Was there family there? Did your parents go back to visit and take you?
1: I have family there. I did travel uh, one time in high school, but I haven't been ever since.
0: What was that like?
1: It was great. It was nice to see places that you're connected to. But it also did feel a bit foreign when you haven't been in the place for a long time and you didn't grow up there. So there was a level of reconnection that was happening as well as discovery. Where did you go to school? Where'd you go to college?
0: I went to Stony Brook. Oh, Stony Brook. Oh, that's studies nice. <laughs> It's <That's> so pretty <laughs> out there on the island. Yeah, it is. Your family's still in Brooklyn,
1: right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then from Long Island, I came back to Brooklyn after school. Then I moved. My first apartment was in Jersey. And then when the pandemic hit (laughs) was when I decided to visit my sister in West Virginia. And I I guess I just never left. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that is so amazing. So I, I got back from PLA, which is the Public Library Association Conference mm-hmm. in yep. Nashville in February of 2020. I was in the city for a few days. And on March 4th, I took the train back up here to Hudson. And within like two days, Publishers Weekly said, OK, we're, we're closing. We're closing down. Yep. And they closed down, what, within like a week or so. We actually
1: closed that Friday before it
0: was even announced, which I think was
1: very intuitive of our leadership because they saw what was going on and they took action right away. So their proactivity actually, I think, uh, helped a lot of us.
0: So tell me your decision-making process. I was in
1: Jersey. I was right by the water. I was in North Bergen and Weehawken is literally like two steps away from me. So yeah, it's like Port Imperial where you literally right across is the water and then the New York City skyline and then you know
0: Manhattan with uh, the Trump Towers and all. So that sounds like a really nice place. And did you have roommates or was it your own place and you could just give it up or?
1: It was my own place. It was a condo that was being rented out. So when I moved in that area, it was a bit cheaper. Because people hadn't really moved up towards the North Bergen side just yet, most people were moving either to Hoboken or Jersey City, and that has become extremely expensive. And so, at the time when I moved, not a lot of people had this, you know, moved up north where I was, and so I got a pretty good deal. It's not like that now. Everybody has, everybody knows
0: about it now. So, <laughs> right, there's, there's no secret for long, and yeah. Uh-huh. definitely not in in real estate. So
1: I was there and, you know, I didn't have a roommate and it was just me and it was great. So when the pandemic hit, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do was just be around uh, a little bit closer to family. And so I told my sister that I would love to come visit them and her and her husband actually came and picked me from Jersey and drove me back down to their house. And it was nice to be, to be with family like that, you know, and be around my nephew and, and those kinds of experiences that you don't really get when you're doing a city life. Because I think a lot of people in the city are very independent and they don't necessarily uh, live with extended families per se. Some do, but oftentimes, like it's a roommate that's a stranger or a friend, you know? So it was nice to have a chance to just be close to the family.
0: That was really smart of them to come up and pick you up too, so that you didn't have to take the train down. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have a car? No, you didn't have a car at that point, right? No, I didn't have a car then. Right. You didn't have to get on public transportation at all. Yep. Just yep. come and get you. How long did you stay before you realized, like, I'm going to go home and pack? It's so funny because, you know,
1: I came down like end of March. And so I was able to come in right at the start of summer. And first of West Virginia is so beautiful. Just the topography is incredible. Like mountain views that I've never seen before. And then also just in terms of quality of life, like what you get In terms of of home space, just like opportunities to, you know, explore and do all sorts of things. And not that New York doesn't present that, but I think it presents that with with a very hefty price tag. And so I came down and, you know, I was hanging out there and I think it was around July when it occurred to me that, you know... (laughs) I can do this. (laughs) And I think also, you know, with PW allowing us that extended flexibility, it, it just made sense. And then it also fit what I do in terms of work. So, you know, me working mostly and entirely actually in digital has always allowed me that level of flexibility. And so I had always been open to the whole, you know, work from home thing before it became a trend. But I think the Pandemic season definitely confirmed that
0: I can have that kind of flexibility. The remote working is just no problem.
1: Yeah, and and PW actually did amazingly well, 2020 and 2021. Yes. We didn't miss the beat, which was telling of both our work ethic as a company, but also the tools and the technology that's available to get things done.
0: What's your day like in West Virginia when you were staying with your sister, and brother-in-law oh. and nephew, did they have a space for you and you could just set up your life? Yeah, last-
1: I, I mean, they have a, a four-bedroom home, nice. so I definitely had my own place. They had a really nice deck, and I can work on there with my computer and just look out on, on their large lawn. It was just very nice. The thing with digital is that once you have done what you need to do, it's very straightforward. It's very, you know, task-oriented. So it's really still important to take those breaks to kind of reconnect with yourself and nature. So that environment was really good for me because I think when I was in New York, it it was kind of just like after work, all you could do was just get home and then watch TV and go to sleep and do it again. But over there, it was like, there are places to run to, there are places to explore, there are some hiking trails, you know? So that was nice for me.
0: I was going to ask you if you kind of became an outdoors woman or if you had always been to hike. Or... A little bit. I wouldn't say on the level of
1: like native West Virginians, definitely not. But I definitely did become more open to doing things outdoors.
0: And hiking trails, as you say, the mountains mm-hmm. are there. Does this part of West Virginia have a name to it? I'm in northern West Virginia. By
1: the Panhandle area, so Berkeley oh, County, by Hagerstown and Martinsburg, and yes, I'm right in that in that bubble. Actually, yeah, there's a river in there. Yeah, Hagerstown is actually about ten minutes from me. Yeah, and Martinsburg is literally my neighborhood. So, but I'm not in Martinsburg city, city. I'm more in the, a bit of the outskirts of Martinsburg. It's the yeah. north east part
0: of the state
1: it's funny it's kind of like where i was when i was in jersey where a lot of the people that are in that area are people that were living in maryland and virginia and dc that are moving into west virginia but are still working in maryland and and virginia because the the location is so close
0: to everything else (laughs) in that strip right so it's easy to commute in a way yes if you need to And now, like you were saying, with the issue of remote work, whether or not you're in digital, it's I guess we're all in digital if we're working remotely. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. So is this part of the state that helped to elect Joe Manchin a Democrat? <laughs> I Honestly, I, I don't know. I try to stay out of the politics. <laughs> Especially as a New Yorker transplant in West Virginia. Did you actually vote in West Virginia in 2020? I did have to. Well, I, so I wasn't an actual
1: resident because I was staying with my family and I still had my apartment in Jersey. Uh, So my voting was still on the Jersey side.
0: Jersey. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I did wonder, I mean, I kind of asked Emma this too, when I, I saw her at the little coffee get together a couple of weeks ago. And I'll just say Emma is a colleague of ours at Publishers Weekly who also moved to West Virginia about 15 minutes from where you are, Marion. But it did occur to me, as like, here you go from New York, New York metropolitan area to... Yep. West Virginia and suddenly the eyes of the whole freaking country and the world are on West Virginia because of this man, Uh, Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia who seems to, now there's another one out in Arizona, but it, 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 it seems like he has the ability to what's the word to to kneecap the the workings of the democrats in the senate i think within both parties there's a division and I think
1: that he represents that division that we've seen in the last five years where there really hasn't been a, a very unified voice within the Democratic Party or actually even the Republican Party as well. And I think that kind of fragmentation impeded a lot of progress in general for either side's agenda. So <laughs> I I think that as our our... The task for our nation really is having a cohesion vision as to who and what we want to be in the world. And I think that is something that the country is having difficulty in trying to define and enforce. And so I'm a little bit not surprised on one end as to how that has turned out. But on the other end, it's also disappointing to watch.
0: <laughs> yeah. It is disappointing, isn't it? But your point is, is that he is a personification of the party and the country as a whole. It's kind of like the split personality person. Yep. Does it feel different in West Virginia than it did in Jersey in the city? Or, or is it just like you're in an area where, you know, it's like you say, there's a lot of commuters, there's people from... Maryland and Virginia and D.C. moving there? Well,
1: where I'm at, there's definitely a higher level of uh, diversity because, like I said, there are people moving in from the D.M.B. area. That's the D.C., Maryland, Virginia states. And they bring in a a certain level of city etiquette (laughs) and resilience because the topography of the area in and of itself is, is more suburban and not really like city life. You have to drive Mostly, but it's still, you know, there's still plenty of things to do and things to explore. And it really is, I think, a good ground to have family and to start a family. And I think that's a little bit more difficult when you're in a highly populated city environment like New York. It's a little bit more strenuous to do the family life. It's not impossible, you know, people do it every day, it's just a lot more strenuous it takes a different kind of
0: energy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we talked about a little bit was this idea of being single in a small town in a state (laughs) where, yes, you have family, but there's challenges, right, to coming into this whole new world, Mm -hmm. in this case, West Virginia. So talk about that a little bit. What's it like? What When did you realize there aren't a whole lot of, I don't know, singles events or obviously there's no events because of the pandemic, at least for a while?
1: Well, I mean, I think that the challenges in general with this season is that a lot of people are cooped up. There is less opportunity to go out and meet in person and doing things, which You know, obviously Zoom and phone calls are great, but there's something about presence and being in front of someone. It's another level of communication. You know, they say that 90% of communication is nonverbal. And that means that if you're texting or even on a phone call, then you can kind of miss about 50% of what someone is trying to say. And so not having a lot of in-person stuff definitely makes it a little bit harder to connect with people. But I I would also say that on the flip side it has also encouraged people to if they find someone good to actually like make a decision and settle down because it's like survival, you know? Like there there's no need to procrastinate because you're really not in a situation where you really want to be, you know, out there playing the field forever in this kind of environment anyway. And so, it has both a yin and a yang that's going on about it. I think that this season for me, one thing that I've learned is that it requires intentionality whether in friendship or in dating or in getting married or having kids, there's a lot of intentionality that has to come that was taken for granted before the pandemic, where, you know, if you went to work and you had to be in the same building, you know, you would naturally have to say hi to your coworkers because you would see them in in, in the cubicle next to you. Or if you were at the supermarket or if you attend a church, you know, by default of the convenience of having to be in the same place, it was just easier to form friendships that were by convenience, now that that convenience is not there, it requires just a higher level of intentionality in terms of relationships. We were talking before the this recording about some of the difficulties I had in planning with my coworker and meeting up. And it's true because before, despite all the business and our schedules, whether we were dating or not or, you know, having kids or not, because we were all in the same building, we were able to see each other, sat across from each other. Now it required a greater level of orchestration for finding a babysitter for her kids and making time and commuting now and stuff like that. And so I think the lesson for me has just been you need to be intentional if you're going to see anything work out.
0: (laughs) I think that's really astute. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Otherwise there'd be concerts, there'd be Plays, there'd be theater, there'd be things to do where you could conceivably meet somebody. But your point is also like, and even if you do meet somebody, and let's say it's an outdoor concert, you better act on it right now because the next opportunity, you don't know when it's going to come along. I think it's a, a combination of like not wasting
1: your time and the other person's time as well. But I think that the pandemic also force people to really evaluate what they what they care about and what they have value in and so i think a lot of people are going into the world of relationships whether romantic or not kind of having a little bit of a more focused idea of what they're looking for and what they want in their life because that sense of uh you know, convenience has been removed on certain levels. You know, people are a little bit more focused as to what they want to go after. And what about you?
0: What are you looking for? You want to have a family?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I definitely want to be able to have a family and stuff like that. But I also kind of want to be able to create in my life a community that just supports each other. You know what I mean? And I think that just goes beyond just a husband and kids, you know, I think that's even within it, with our coworkers, you know, even with the neighbors, you know, like your friends had to go and be part of a church and, you know, churches and in, that, in this season have also undergone a lot of changes, right? With people not being able to come in person as often as before. But it has also made, you know, those who run churches have to be um, intentional in building community. So now I think it's actually becoming a place where a lot of people are seeking community from more than ever. I think for me, it's really having a support system because I think that growing up in New York, what I often saw was you can be surrounded by a lot of people, but also be very lonely a lot of people working hard, but also never feel like they were making it. Just a lot of contradiction in lifestyle, you know? And so now I just want there to be just a level of authenticity in that if you're working hard, you can see the end result of you working hard. If you're around people, it's, it's people that you trust and love. And it's not just like being surrounded by a bunch of strangers, but still feeling alone, you know? Like what it, people are seeing on on the outside is actually matching the real life truth of what it is on the inside. So that's really what my goal is.
0: Do you feel that there's uh, a higher level of authenticity among the people in your neighborhood and where you've moved in West Virginia? Yes and no. Yes. And that
1: I feel like there is less need to be pretentious. No, in the sense that I think I- It's hard to tell because people always have layers to their lives. But in general, I think it's a yes. Do you miss the city? Sometimes. I think I miss the food. (laughs) I don't miss the commute. I don't miss the crowdedness. I don't miss the subway smelling really bad. But I do miss the food. (laughs) I can imagine. I missed the variety of food. I felt like in New York, you can get any kind of food
0: anywhere. That's true. And usually delivered without a problem for a couple yep, dollars. Yep. And what's it like? Are you finding yourself cooking more?
1: I've had to cook more, which is funny because so in 2020, I I became obsessed with the great British baking show. Yeah, go on. So it definitely gave me an opportunity to kind of like have fun with that. But getting my own place, it definitely makes you have to cook more, which is good because I think it's a skill that is a survivable tool. I, I think it's always a good idea to be able to know how to cook. It's a skill, right? Yeah. But like with all skills, it gets better the more you do it. So that's why I think this period in which people have had to be home more is a good opportunity for people to learn and really
0: build that skill. In addition to honing your cooking skills, you were baking. Yes, Tell me, what's the most wonderful thing that you made during the whole time of baking?
1: So I would say it was a rum cake. Yeah, by recipe. That was pretty good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, do tell. Was it done in like a bundt pan or? Yes,
1: the the bundt pans with the the hole in the middle and and the ridges. Mm -hmm. I love those kinds of cakes in in general. I think they're so pretty. That's my go-to look (laughs) for a cake. So I just had a chance to kind of like, play around with that a bit. I don't know if you were on some of the PW Slack forums that we had, but for a while, some of our colleagues were posting some of the things they would make. It was very interesting. Did you post a picture of that rum cake? I posted some pictures of some things that I cooked as well. Some fried rice with uh,
0: chicken that I made and the Thanksgiving dinner that we did with my sister. Yep. That sounds like it was a lot of fun. Did you bake before the British baking show or that was a skill that you picked up? Well, I've always
1: liked baking, but I think the show made me enjoy learning how to bake better. I loved that competition because the contestants often acted like a family, like it wasn't a competition show where people were like trying to sabotage each other kind of thing. So it was just fun. And
0: relax and a watch. Would you be willing to share the recipe for the rum cake that we could put in the show notes? Sure, I'll send it over. That's a deal. Do you think you'll go back and visit Brooklyn? It's definitely on my to-do list to go back to Brooklyn and, and just see how things are. Otherwise your parents would probably come down and visit you and your sister. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I wondered what the experience of buying a house was like for you. This is the first place you bought, right? Yeah, yep. And before that, you bought a car, right? The car was bought for me as a gift. Oh, how nice! So you didn't have <laughs> to go through that ordeal. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I didn't go through that. So, what was it like
0: buying a house?
1: It was definitely eye opening. I bought it during one of the craziest <laughs> housing markets. You know, in in about the past eight to 10 years. It was definitely a seller's market. So I was really lucky to Mm. get in at a time when the interest rates were very low, but I watched a lot of homes that initially I wanted to get be priced out of my budget because of pricing wars, (laughs) you know, because there were so many people looking to move and have their own home and not Enough inventory, whether because the builders weren't building or you know, all of the other economic stuff that were going on. I think a lot of the government assistance for homeowners made people who would generally put their houses up for sale hold on, which is good, but it just made there be less inventory for those who were looking for homes. It was very interesting, but I was lucky because I was able to actually get a brand new construction built townhouse so it all worked out and I I went that route because it was easier to kind of go from like the scratch of working with people that are building a community than to try to buy a home way past the asking price because there's a bit of war so it was definitely eye-opening and of course in the process you also learn some of the history of just the housing politics in the country and making sure that you buy a home where you don't go underwater when the bubble bursts, there's all of that. So it it really was a learning experience on so many levels. And it made me also realize that like, I feel like a lot of these informations, like owning a home, you know, buying stocks or investments and stuff like that are things that you don't really learn in school. You learn after the fact, whether you get an opportunity to be exposed to it or not. And I think that's unfortunate. I think that those are learning tools and education that really should be part of school in general. I don't think you should only know how to buy a home when you can afford to buy a home. I think you should know how to buy a home, period, so you understand the economics behind it, especially when so much of it is like your credit score, like understanding all those things should be part of our general education, but it seems to only be something you learn if you have the opportunity to get it.
0: You pretty much have a good support system with your family too, and being the youngest, four kids. And I was lucky
1: because my sister had already owned a home. My parents owned the home that we lived in in Brooklyn. So I come from a legacy of home ownership, so I already had that leverage and I, I hate to say it, privilege of people who know the ins and outs, and the do's and don'ts. That really helped me a lot. Also coming from a home where both parents made very well income, definitely helped. My dad paid for my undergrad, so I didn't have any student loans coming in. So those kinds of things helped me be able to get my own place. But the problem is that not everyone has that. And I feel like that value of information should only be available if you have the privilege for it. I think that if people were taught whether they could or not, they would start making decisions that make them able to.
0: That's a huge issue, especially in the black community about generational wealth. It shouldn't be the rarity, but unfortunately it is. Does it make you want to go and volunteer or to work with younger people who are looking to build their own wealth and establish themselves
1: in the community? For a long time, I actually wanted to volunteer for Habitat for Humanities right when I came out of college. But my focus at that time, too, was trying to just find a job. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, finding work is so time consuming and it kind of became more of a priority for me. And so I ended up making that what I pursued instead of Habitat for Humanity. But it's always been something that's been on my heart to do. And I think I now have the space and time to do so. In general, I've always wanted for there to be financial literacy for young people, because I think that, especially given that school loans are permanent debt for a lot of people, and it's the kind of debt where like, it doesn't go away if you pass away. It transfers over to your children, there's a level of injustice in not having a greater push for financial literacy as part of curriculum in general.
0: I bet your mom agrees with you. (laughs) The retired uh, high school teacher.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it was only possible because of their support, you know. I think any accomplishment that anyone really does is a reflection of the support that they have. I don't really believe in the idea that somebody does something all by themselves because I think, first of all, that's unrealistic, but also not healthy. I I think when anyone is able to really accomplish something great, you know, when you look behind the curtain, you see that there's a whole lot of other kind of support going on that's making that possible. And that's really the point of having a, a solid family life, to be that community of support for each other.
0: Community is what it's about. Yep. Thank you so much, Marion. Absolutely. And and thank you for the honor to
1: be on your podcast. And I just want to commend you for stepping out and trying something new. I think that's really the, the takeaway of this entire pandemic situation and even these pandemic moves, right? It's stepping out and trying something new, you know, beyond your comfort zone and learning as much as you can in that journey. So. I'm I'm grateful for, for what I've
0: learned and to be part of yours. Well, thank you. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Thank you for listening to Moving Along, a podcast about travel, relocation, and life transitions. If you like what you hear, please share and subscribe. You can find Moving Along wherever you listen. This show was edited by yours truly, Christy Cassidy. The music is by Eves Blue. If you have an idea for a show, contact me at Christy at movingalongpodcast.com. Till next time.